Miracy. Because I've exposed myself to other religions, I've exposed myself to other language. I've exposed myself to how they articulate their value system. And so that gives me more tools to be able to assess who I'm talking to. Are you a coach grappling with the idea of incorporating spirituality into your coaching practice? Are you worried about how to approach it without putting off your clients? It's a valid concern, but don't worry, we've got you covered in this episode about spirituality and coaching. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Spirituality can be a powerful tool for facilitating transformational change in our clients' lives. But how do you incorporate it in a way that aligns with your client's beliefs and values? It's important to establish trust and rapport with your clients to ensure that you're meeting their unique needs. And today, I've invited Rona Bennett, also known as Coach Rowe, to the show to explore this incredible topic with me. With over 30 years professionally in the entertainment industry, Rona is one of the singers in the R&B group In Vogue. She is also an author of the book, Saving Your Soul, and the founder of a global outreach coaching school, Personal Power University, established in 2016. Her motto, I believe in personal growth and contribution until we leave the planet. Welcome, Rona. Oh, thank you, Melinda. I'm so excited to have you on the show and so excited to dive into this topic with you. But before we do, would you mind just sharing a little bit of your background with our listeners? Sure. I hope I can uh, make this short and sweet. I am, as you mentioned, uh, one third of the legendary R&B group in Vogue. I am also an actress. I'm a songwriter. I am recently a newlywed, a wife. And I am known as Coach Rowe at my school, Personal Power University. This is my heart work. I mean, everything I do is from the heart, but this I truly feel is my heart work or calling. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today. A lot of coaches are drawn to that idea, exactly what you just said, heart work. Like the work that we do, it's not just a job. It's our calling. It's what lights us up. Truly, that is spirit at its best. In personal, in the flesh. We're doing the work of the divine. We're channeling our gifts to benefit others. And I just want to get a little more clarity from you. How do you define spirituality in coaching? What does that look like in your practice? Well, first and foremost, I think you gave a wonderful explanation as you were talking. I'm like, yes, for me, it's just an organic realness with where I have gotten most of my growth. I mean, other than studying other champions and seeing what modalities or proven strategies that they have used in order to see the change they want to see in their lives, another major, major point for me is my spiritual walk. I've been consciously on it since the age of 18, and I have stretched myself in many different directions to discover more of this divine presence that you spoke about and what my part is with it. There's this phrase that's always been in my mind for as long as I can remember. You know, we're human beings here 
walking this planet, having a spiritual experience. We're also spirit beings here, having a human experience. Like those two things exist simultaneously. We often forget one or the other, but when we can remember that both are true, I think that's a powerful place to coach from. Absolutely. Now with this spirituality and coaching, because for me, it's just a normal way of being. It's just me doing my work that comes naturally to me. I've gone through training to kind of hone in on the skills and the gifts and the talents that I have. And I'm just showing up very present in service to the person or group of people who's in front of me and being that channel of the divine. It really is, for me, it's that simple, but it's so profound. But how do we intentionally incorporate spirituality into our coaching? Is it just something that happens or can we be really intentional and practice that? Well, for me, it's something that just happens because it's so much a part of who I am. And to deny it would not have me show up in my full power and what I can offer a client or a person that I'm speaking with. So I think that the easiest way, if you will, to let it show up is to just be yourself and not think you have to kind of wrangle yourself in or fit some specific kind of mold. Or, you know, let's say you follow another coach and you like a lot of what they do, but they don't show up with a lot of spirituality in their work. I say, take what works, leave the rest and bring in your authentic self. If that's where you truly have gotten most of your growth or that's truly been a pivot for you, get okay with and have the courage to just show up as yourself and your clients are going to find you. Mm-hmm. They're just, I want what she's got. How do I get that? You can help me because you've got it. And there's just this attraction that happens. And one of the things that I see, we work a lot with newer coaches. A lot of our listenership are newer coaches early in their journey as a coach or starting their business within the first few. I mean, we still have a lot of listeners that have been doing it for a while, going to another level. But often when you're new at something, that negative self-talk is louder than just be ourself, let our light shine. How do we wrestle with or handle or be the boss of or dance with that negative self-talk when that doubt shows up when we're early in our journey? It's an interesting question. I mean, the first thing that started to bubble up to my conscious mind to share was do what scares you. The only way I personally have been able to discover more of where my strengths are, maybe places where I'm not as strong, and then through experience, just become a better coach. But I think that the main thing is to jump in and know that it's okay and know that we all fail forward. Nobody comes in perfect. There's still more to discover even 10 years. What has it been? I started in 2010. 13 years later, here I am still discovering where more of my strengths are as a coach. Ongoing journey. Just have the courage, muster the courage to do what scares you. And another thing that I'm getting back into like I was in the beginning days of my coaching is I start listening to the champions that inspired me again. I keep their voices in my ears. I'm going back and discovering what other coaches are doing and watching them do what scares them or stretch in what they're able to share with their audiences. And and then I, I stick my pinky toe in and put a little bit more of my foot in the next time, put more of my leg in the next time, you know, but keep doing what scares you. And I think you'll get more and more comfortable as you move forward. Was there a time when you did something that scared you and you're like, well, yeah, uh, let's retreat back for just a hot minute. And you, you went backwards for a bit before you could keep moving forward? 
I'll say one of the things that scared me was launching my coaching program. I'm sure I was dealing with some imposter syndrome where it's like, okay, who am I to be uh, coming out here and, and putting myself out there like these other coaches that are so successful? Will people believe me? Will people take to what I have to say? I've never done it before. I don't have testimonials yet. All of those things made me scared. And I remember wanting to push my launch back. And I called my business coach and I said, I don't know, you know, maybe I need to do this and that. And he just let me do all my little talking. <laughs> After I finished, he's like, you got to do it, Rona. Just do it. This is normal. Everybody goes through this. Just do it. I'm sure there are other times where I've been afraid to put up a video. I don't know how somebody's going to take it in. When I started learning how to write better copy, you know, write better for people to be able to connect with my words. All these things required me to feel the fear, as Susan Jeffers would say, and do it anyway. And then as I did it, I started to refine more. And as I mentioned earlier, find more of my strengths and where I needed to focus my attention and energy to get the best results. And I love what we're talking about. And I imagine our listeners are like, wait, Coach Rowe was having imposter syndrome? Like, certainly that can't be. And it's it's right. It happens to all of us, no matter. I mean, I'm 19 years in the business and still dealing with the villains when they creep up and you handle them and keep moving. We're always evolving. It's why I love the playground of business, of coaching business, of being in this transformational space, being in service of others, experiencing transformation. It's really for us, for our own development and growth. And I love what we've talked about. Like when you think about fail forward, love that. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Do what scares you. Listening to your champions, going to your coach, just being yourself. Like all of that stuff, it's just coaching, right? It's coaching at its best. But spirituality is coaching and coaching is spirituality. I just, I think that they are one in the same. And for me, it's often hard to discern one from the other because... It's always how I've shown up in the world. I've just been more intentional about it in these recent couple of decades. Now, when we're thinking about our clients, my dad's a minister, one of the coolest preachers that I know. And when I would talk with clients and I would tell a story, I would say something like, you know, my dad's a minister. If I was in person with them or on Zoom, you can sometimes you'll see their face like, ooh, hold on a second here. Wait a minute. And it's so interesting. There's spirituality, there's religion. I think there's a distinction between the two. I don't think one's good, bad, right or wrong, better or worse. There's just a distinction between the two. But when we're looking at our clients and, and thinking about how we serve them, how do we express those values? Maybe they're aligned, maybe they're not. I find that when we're ourselves, we attract like kind of people, but the beliefs and values may be slightly different. How do you handle that? Well, you know, what's interesting for me is that because I've been on such an honest walk spiritually, I have allowed myself to explore more than one religion. Because I've exposed myself to other religions, I've exposed myself to other language. I've exposed myself to how they articulate their value system. And so that gives me more tools to be able to assess who I'm talking to. And then if I need to use language that more aligns with their spiritual belief system or their religion, I will do that to create breakthrough or to create connection. And then once we create connection, because you see that I'm in alignment with your language or I'm able to communicate to you through your belief system, then I can introduce more of the concepts maybe that align more with the way I communicate. 
because now I've already created connection. So I think that if you want to be able to stretch in who you're able to touch, expose yourself to more doctrine, expose yourself to their dogma, see what the language is that's used in that particular religion or dogma, and then find a way for you to align that with the way you would communicate. And for me, that has created a lot of connection. I've been able to teach Christians, Muslim, Buddhist, people who don't believe in God at all, atheists, you know, that has come from my own personal growth and a willingness to stretch in what else things can mean. So maybe that just encouraging, especially our newer coaches, if this is something that you want to do, if you want to touch people in this spiritual place, expose yourself to more. I love what you said. All of that is in service of being aligned to create transformation help our clients create transformation. And with my dad being a minister, that was what I grew up with. It's like one truth, many paths, one truth, and just different ways of speaking it. And so I too shared that and was able to have access to, have awareness of an array of different beliefs or paradigms or practices and integrated that into my coaching practice so that I could serve the client's in a way that helped them. And that's what I really loved about the root of all of that is what will help our clients create that transformation. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to be false or fake or phony. I think our clients can sniff that out. When we invest in learning and better understanding more perspectives, we can reach and serve more people. Yes, ma'am. What are some of those best practices for coaches who want to integrate spirituality into their practice, but may not have a background in spirituality and religion and that area? What if they don't have that background? Mm, good question. Let's see. Well, I would say start where you're most curious. That's how I started. My question was pretty vast. Who is God? What is God? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And how do I fit into all of this? Does this stuff make sense to me anymore? Because I grew up with a Christian background. I went to church all the time. And I always wanted to, as they say, question the word of God because I had questions. And it was, you know, they told you you're not supposed to do that. So when I moved to California, I felt like I had the freedom to kind of go down the rabbit hole if you will, of information and just start exploring. So I started where my curiosity was and then it just pushed me to take the next step and then the next step. So start where you're curious. Yeah, I love that direction. For me, at one point, kind of moving away from the Christian background that I grew up in, I did yoga teacher training and spent 18 months diving into that world and understanding transformation on the mat not through words or messages. and But I love how you said, start where your curiosity is, wherever that is, because it's not a, well, it goes back to what I learned growing up. One truth, many paths. There's many ways to get there. And your curiosity, I find is your intuition getting your attention. And I want to talk about that because I personally believe that our intuition is one of our greatest superpowers in our business that's often overlooked. So how do you define or distinguish between spirituality and intuition? Is there a difference for you? Hmm. Well, I would say intuition is instinct or gut or some inner nudge. Spirituality may be the experience of the whole of your 
spiritual walk, but intuition to me is more like a spark of inspiration, a spiritual nudge, an inner movement or calling in the moment that points you in a certain direction, whereas spirituality is a more broad approach to just an overall walk or search for meaning. Yeah. It's the intuition for me is like the whisper of the divine. Sometimes I wish it would talk louder and not just be a whisper. I'm like, could you speak up, please? (laughs) It's like, oh, wait, no, I actually just need to slow down and get quieter, which also brings up another point because so often when we're starting our business or like you were telling the story earlier, launching your coaching program, we often get busy for a good reason. There's often a lot of work to be done. But a lot of times the busyness helps us to navigate those fears where spirituality requires stillness, space, quiet. How does a new coach or any business owner, how do they work with that? Well, I think it's something we practice. For example, a part of my morning routine is meditation every day. I'm going to pause for at least 11 minutes to 20 minutes. Now there's one specific technique of meditation that I really took to back in 2011. It's called Vedic meditation. And what I loved about what the teacher taught me in Vedic meditation is that it's for the Western person. It's for the lay person. It's for the noisy world, which really mirrored my spiritual walk, which is a state of allowance. I was learning prior to that moment that you're supposed to try to quiet the mind, you know, and you're not supposed to be thinking. And I'm like, yo, my mind is going crazy. (laughs) I'm totally thinking it's loud and this is not working. And it reminds me of this age old quote that we all know, what you resist persists. So I'm like trying to push the thoughts out and the thoughts are like, no, we're here. And what Vedic meditation was saying was, no, go ahead, use this mantra that I give you. This is like a charming tool to just kind of relax you into a space. If you don't have a charming tool, count backwards, you know, from 50 or something, or use the breath, count your breaths, inhale, exhale a certain amount, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, whatever you can to just kind of charm yourself into a more relaxed state of being and then become a witness. The stillness is becoming a witness, become an observer. If thoughts come in, just watch them like passing cards. Don't make them right. Don't make them wrong. Don't make them good. Don't make them bad. Just observe them. And then if we don't resist them, I find that they just kind of pass and something else comes in. And so you naturally calm the mind because you're not resisting what wants to bubble up. And then the mind can calm. And each meditation is different, which I love that they promote it as well. They're like, you know, sometimes it's going to be serene. It's going to be still. It's going to feel amazing. Other times it's going to be loud. You might be restless. All of that is a part of the experience of meditation. And it really mirrors life. It's not always calm. It's not always hectic either. So if we can just learn in that space to practice stillness, a state of allowance, then I think that meditation can come to you a bit more enjoyably and you can find more purpose and meaning in it. So that would be my suggestion is to carve out time every day, hopefully in the morning when, you, when you're starting your day and put yourself on a timer, use something to kind of charm yourself into the space if you need to, to go into this deeper transcendental relaxed space and then become a witness of whatever wants to bubble up in your mind. And then naturally the thoughts will probably quiet down and give you a space of calm. And then whatever message could be there will be there for you. One of my favorite apps is Headspace because it's a guided meditation and the voices are so mesmerizing. And that will be that charming factor that you were talking about where I can just focus on the voice in front of me and they put just enough quiet space in between the guiding that they give that 
helps me to be still. And I just experienced it this morning. I was sitting in my chair with my cup of tea and journaling. So sometimes that's my meditation is just this kind of journaling. That's how I observe whatever's coming up. And then my dog conveniently got my attention. He was like, um, it's time for a walk. I'm like, oh yes. And then that walk, my, I found that my meditation was carried in the walk and ideas were coming up. Thoughts were coming up. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the piece that I was looking for or missing or wanting clarity on. And so a lot of times when we do the seemingly nothing things, going on a walk, walking your dog, having a cup of tea, staring out a window, our busy mind will discount that as, oh, you're being lazy, but it's really a vital part of bringing the voice of spirit into what we're doing. Mm, I like it. And I think as new coaches, when we're launching a program, I remember this one time we were doing a big launch. It was one of our first big, we had like 20 partners that were promoting our campaign at the same time. And I was really busy. And one of the guys on my team, he asked me, he's like, so are you still doing your meditating? I'm like, oh, I don't have time to do my meditating. He was like, ah, oh, Melinda, that's when you should do twice the amount of meditating. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, yeah. So if normally I'm doing 20 minutes, let's sit down for 40 minutes. Can I actually do that? And that's where that feeling of accomplishing more while doing less, truly, it becomes a real thing. Now, when we're working with our clients, what if our clients begin to have resistance to exploring spirituality within their sessions? Do we just let it be? Is it okay? Do we explore it? And how do we handle that when clients, when their resistance shows up? I mean, for me, I make it okay. Maybe that's not the route. Maybe that's not the way. Maybe it's going to take a little bit more time to introduce it from another perspective or another angle. In my course in particular, I wait until we're about eight weeks in before I deal with the emotional aspect of a person because I know how important it is to build rapport first. They got to know they can trust me with their stuff and they probably need to see me do what I do, create breakthrough in other areas. And then there's more trust there to receive whatever I'm trying to introduce to them. So I said, just stay present. And if you find that it is being met with too much resistance, don't crowbar it in. <laughs> Allow it to be what it is. And if you want, ask really good questions of why they're resistant to it, or just see if it's just a matter of timing and then reintroduce it a little later after you've built more rapport with them. I love that. Yeah, let it be okay. Don't crowbar it for sure. And I love how you talked about building trust and rapport first and letting them just observe. And we never know how the divine is going to use us in any given situation or what the impact is going to be. So there's a lot of trust in the work that we do. I think we've already touched on this answer, but how do you continue to really keep that strong connection with the divine, however you define that? For me, it's very conscious. Like I said, I do get up every morning. The first thing I do actually is to do a high vibrational activity, which is to speak my gratitude for five minutes, no less, about everything. It is truly a living prayer. For me. So I'm thankful for the things I have and I'm thankful for the things that are coming. I go into meditation. I tap into visualization. I'll watch, you know, some online sermons sometimes just to see what little nugget wants to drop out and uh, bless me for the day. So I, it's just a conscious desire and a deliberate carving out of space to receive the messages. That's a big word right there, receiving. I think that's a big part of the flow with the spirituality and coaching and spirituality in our business. 
is we have to receive so we can give and we have to give so we can receive and keeping that flow going. And so, especially for women, we're so good at giving and coaches. I mean, it's our nature to be of service to others, to give, to nurture, but we have to facilitate the receiving and expand our capacity to receive so that we can have a greater capacity to give. That's right. Love that. Me too. What else on this topic do you want to share? Do you feel called to share with our listeners? I think we've covered some really wonderful little nooks and crannies. I really do. I've enjoyed listening to you, Melinda, articulate your coaching style and just how you think about coaching. You sound like you're really dynamic and that you can probably touch a lot of people just based on your walk alone. So kudos to you. I'm giving you a shoulder brush from Georgia in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just summarize some of the nooks and crannies that we visited today. You kicked us off talking about how really it's just your heart's work, your call. And I love the way you describe that, your heart's work, that when we talk about spirituality and coaching, it's just that organic realness where you found your greatest growth. And that really is the path that you walked. And it's something that just happens. You just have the courage to be yourself. You don't have to fit into a mold or maybe you emulate for a while, but then you find your way to do it. And we talked about how do we handle that doubt early on in our journey. I love that you shared that story that I think so many listeners are familiar with about launching our program or our packages or our business or whatever it is we're doing and all those voices that come up and having the feel the fear and doing it anyway. Do what scares you. And I love the phrase that you talked about failing forward because in doing that, we're discovering more of our gifts. We talked about how do we handle beliefs and values with our clients, but maybe when they don't align with ours. Maybe when they're different and all of that, finding ways to reach our clients in service of and that's most aligned for creating transformation for them. It's all about them. We talked about, you know, if you don't have the background in spirituality or religion, how do you integrate that? We got into the conversation of spirituality versus intuition and the difference and distinctions between that and how spirituality requires stillness. You were so gracious that you shared your morning meditation, how you start your day to stay connected to the divine and how might we navigate it when our client's resistance shows up. And then we had that really cool banter there talking about expanding our capacity to receive so we can have a greater capacity to give. And we really have covered some interesting nooks and crannies of this. Anything else you want to add into that, Rona? You've done fantastic. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Rona Bennett for this incredible conversation. You can find out more about her at ronabennett.com. That's Rona, R-H-O-N-A, Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. Coach Ro, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you, Melinda. This has been fantastic. Thank you. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mayor CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Blowing Up and Behind the Launch. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her, and Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer. Danny Innie is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. 
If you want to listen to upcoming and previous great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might be listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.